have a Bible, if you'll go ahead and open it up or turn it on with me. Uh, Now, we're going to be in several different verses today. Uh, We're going to start out in Colossians, and then we're going to move to Psalms. We're going to wind up in Hebrews, and then we're also going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. So we'll just be all over the place. Now, this is pretty cool here. Uh, Rosalyn, Rosalyn made me some chocolates, and uh, they left them up here. So no temptation. Anybody want a piece of chocolate while we preach here? So anyway, anyway, it's really good stuff too, by the way. So I'll I just kind of, are you going to take one? There, there, there you go. Okay. Oh, you're going to take them. He's going to eat the whole thing. He stole my chocolates. Yeah. Oh, he's going to give them to my wife. Okay. All right. We, we got to get down to business here. So uh, yeah. So Stacy, I just wanted to express my love. So I bought you some chocolates. <laughs> Uh, and Paul was so kind to deliver them for me. Yeah, yeah. So we are in week three of a series called Frequently Asked Questions, and in this series we're looking at some of the questions that people often ask about Christianity. You'll recall in week one we asked the question, why ask? And then we looked at what is so special about the Bible, Last week I was out at a little cough, and uh, people just don't want you around these days when you're coughing for some strange reason. Uh, But uh, this week we're going to be looking at the questions of, does God exist and can God be known? Next week, uh, Derek Draper is going to be with us. It's going to be Mother's Day. Derek will be preaching. If you've never heard Derek preach before, he does a great job. I used to play linebacker for Baylor University, so uh, we're going to have an arm wrestling contest between Derek Draper and David Frank, who used to play linebacker for A&M, right? So let's see who can, who can win between, between those two guys. Uh, then we're going to be looking at, do, do Christians worship three gods? Uh, we're also going to be looking at, did Jesus ever actually claim to be God? Because a lot of people say, well, Jesus never really claimed to be God. I'm excited about this one here on May 30th because we're going to be looking at one of the common thought points that you find in a lot of movies these days, and that is, are all religions the same? And then finally, we'll end the series, first week of June, with the question of how does a person become a Christian? But today, I want to talk to you about the existence of God. Does God exist? And if God exists, can God be known? Now, what's interesting about this question of the existence of God is that the Bible doesn't actually argue it. You don't find a a book of the Bible that is a debate on whether or not God exists. The Bible actually comes from the assumption that God does exist. It assumes God as the absolute reality of all things. And specifically, as the Bible presents God, it presents God as one God in three persons. Now, do you know what the three persons are? God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yet at the same time, God is one, and the Bible is very specific about that. Now, if you open up the Bible, the very first words of the Bible are what? In the beginning, God created. So you ask the question, who created God? Where did God come from? The Bible does not answer that question. The Bible assumes the existence of God. The Bible uh, 
presents God as what we call the absolute reality. And any worldview or philosophical system has to have something that just is, whether that's matter, whether that's energy. Uh, As Christians, we believe that that absolute reality is God. Who made God, the kid asked? No one made God, son. God just is. So if you go over to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, you see this about God. For everything was created by Him. So as Christians, we separate the idea of God from the creation. In many world religions, the creation and God are merged together, and God is kind of the collective energy of the creative force. Yet within Christianity, God is the creator of all things. Now notice, what did he create? Everything in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. The Bible says all things have been created through him. And then you almost hydroplane over this last part, and for him. So the Bible presents God as the star of the show. Ultimately, you and I and everything else was created not just by him, but for him, for his glory. And then the passage ends with, he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. So the scriptures present God not only as creator, but as sustainer. What that means is if you take God out of the Christian worldview, everything implodes because everything was ultimately created to bring glory to Him. Now, interestingly, the Scriptures teach that left to our own sin nature, we actually run away from God and His righteousness. At the root of sin, There's two roots that kind of grow from this idea of sin. One is pride. Pride always puts me in the position that belongs to God. So I start putting myself in front of God. Ten Commandments begin with, you shall have no other gods besides me, before me. And then the other is idolatry. Idolatry attempts to refashion God into something that he is not whether that's a statue or whether that's an image in my mind, whatever it might be, whenever I begin to refashion God into something other than who He is, I am committing idolatry. And normally, when we try to refashion God, we try to refashion God into what we want Him to be. And because of that, you'll find that there are a lot of people that reject the whole idea of God. They might call themselves atheist or agnostic. We'll talk more about that here in a few moments. But if you go over to Psalm chapter 14, what does the Bible have to say about atheism? Well, the Bible says this in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Essentially, the position of Scripture is that we as human beings know that there is something something beyond us, that we have a basic need to worship. And that need to worship comes out in a lot of different directions. And Scripture says, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. 
Now, why would someone say this? Because they're not in a relationship with God. They're not walking with God. It goes on to describe them as corrupt, doing vile deeds. They're, and then it says, but, but they're not alone. There's no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there's one who is wise, one who seeks God, and all have turned away, all alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's a cheerful message, isn't it? Cheerful thoughts with Lash Banks. Yeah. All right. Get your mind around this thought right here, okay? All pursuits of God fall short without God's pursuit of you. Left to our own, we pursue our own sin nature. God intervenes into our scene so that we might be redeemed. So as we put these two questions together today, does God exist and can he be known? They are inseparable. Not only does God exist, but he has revealed himself. He has gone out of his way to make himself known so that you and I might have a relationship with him. Does God exist? Can he be known? In order for us to believe in the God of the Bible, you must also believe that God can be known. And what is the primary way that God has made himself known to us? Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate revelation of God, is Jesus. And then he has preserved scripture for us so that we can also know about God through his word. How you answer these questions. You know, be intellectually honest with yourself. Whoops. How you answer these questions, does God exist and can God be known, will, will shape your understanding of life's ultimate questions. What are the ultimate questions of life? Well, we could make a long list, but right at the top of that list is, where do we come from? Or how did I get here? Uh, why am I here? What's the purpose of it all? And what's next? Is there anything beyond this world? Philosophically, if there's not something next, it leads you to a rather nihilistic type existence. Now, you've probably noticed this. Not everybody uh, believes in God. And some people uh, believe in a different God than, than we worship here at Murphy Road Baptist Church. So let's look at some different views of God, and, and let's try to help you understand what is your view. Obviously, I, I'm a little prejudiced here. I come from a specific view, don't I? I'm a Baptist preacher. Uh, but, but does anybody have any friends, any neighbors, relatives that are atheists? Anybody have anybody that you know that are atheists? What is atheism? Atheism denies the existence of God. So an atheist doesn't just doubt the existence of God, doesn't just argue the existence of God. A, an atheist actually denies the existence of God. Well, you say, well, well, why do they deny the existence of God? Well, there's a lot of different reasons, but some of the main reasons why people land on atheism, one might be that they determine that, that God is like fairy tales. So whenever you're a child, you believe in wolves that blow down houses princesses that wear glass slippers, 
and have these little bitty feet that fit in the glass slippers. You know, you believe in all these things, but the atheist would say, but as you get older, you grow out of God. And they would argue that society at one point didn't have answers to things, and so we created mystical answers that, that we used in order to try to help us make sense of the world around us. Some atheists land there because of their understanding of science. And so they would say, well, I'm a scientist or I embrace a scientific worldview and science doesn't leave a lot of room for the supernatural and so, or any room. So they would say that science and faith are incompatible. Some would even go so far as to say in their observational truths of nature, they conclude that the existence of God is not possible. Now, that's actually interesting to me because if I were to observe the beauties and the intricacies of nature, the objective world actually leads me to believe that the evidence suggests that there's a divine creator behind it. Now, I think we need to remember this about Christianity and science. Christians are not anti-science. There's kind of this growing movement that tries to say, okay, you're either Christian or science. Christians are not anti-science. I'm thankful for science. I'm, I'm thankful for, uh, I have an appreciation of the process that science uses to establish natural truth. But as I believe in God, I, I understand this, that what, whenever someone is using the scientific method to discover natural truth, they are basically discovering laws within God's creation, a creation that was created by the God that I worship. And furthermore, I think science struggles to bring answers to life's ultimate questions. The why am I here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Why is it that I need to love and be loved? How do I have loving relationships? Do moral absolutes exist? If so, why? Is there really hope in this world? Can I be forgiven of my past? There are certain answers that we as humanity live with day in, day out, that science, as helpful as it is, doesn't really give us a lot of good answers for. Well, there's another reason why a lot of people land on atheism, and that is hurt. Because we live in a broken world. People do things that are very evil. And sin brings death and it brings suffering into the world. And so for some, as a reaction to pain, they come to the conclusion, well, I'm just going to deny the existence of God. I'm not going to argue with you today. But I am going to point out that the story of the gospel is all about God transforming brokenness. It's all about God taking the pain, taking the death, and changing it into life and introducing grace into the story of humanity. The peace that God offers us is not the absence of conflict, but He does offer us the shalom, the peace, the completeness that comes from God and God alone. So don't let the hurt cause you to push away from God and run your own direction. Instead, allow that hurt to lead you to the story of forgiveness and grace that is found in God. 
Now I'll move a little quicker through some of these other worldviews. Some would say that they are agnostic. Now agnosticism is similar to atheism. They, however, do not deny the existence of God. They just don't see it as relevant. If God exists, what's the big deal? I, and so it doesn't have any effect upon their actual life. They live as if there is no God. Then there's religious pluralism, this idea that all religions are just different paths to the same God. You do you, I'll do me, and we'll all be good. And then there's polytheism. That's kind of fading a little bit these days in our part of the world, but not in the rest of the world. Polytheism is this idea that there are many gods. You might think of the Greek mythology and how they had many different gods. And then there is one that you may not have ever put into your Rolodex of, of faith, but ufology. Do you know what ufology is? So this is, a, this is a massive oversimplification of it, but it's basically the idea that the supernatural exists because of the paranormal or because of other beings out there, aliens among us. And so they would actually explain things like Jesus. How did Jesus walk on water? How did Jesus heal the blind? He was an alien, come from a different planet. And one of these days, he'll come and kind of pour out judgment upon the planet. And that's actually a rather growing movement out there. I know, I know. And then there is theism. Theism is the belief in the existence of God. And within theism, we have Christianity. So let's ask this question. What does Murphy Church believe about the existence of God? If you're new to this church, it's pretty important to know what the church believes about God, wouldn't you agree? So this is what we believe about God. There is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being. The creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. We believe that God is infinite in his holiness and all other perfections, meaning there is no corruption within him. He is altogether pure in all of his motives and all of his actions. God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and his perfect knowledge extends to all things past, present, and future, including the future decisions of his free creatures. To him, we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. Everybody has something to talk about at lunch now, right? right? That's a lot in there. That's one paragraph that describes a lot of theology. That's from the uh, Baptist Faith and Message. And you can Google that and you can, you can read the uh, complete doctrinal statement of the church there in the Baptist Faith and Message. So we believe unapologetically that God exists. We believe unapologetically that not all faiths lead to the same God, that we believe in the God of the Bible. And we also believe that God can be known. And the primary way that we know God 
is through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I want to share with you in the time that we have left today, you know, Leighton preached 15 minutes last week. I was like, come on, man. I've got to preach 45 now to just make up for that, you know. I'm kidding. I, I, I won't do that, I hope. But anyway, Hebrews chapter 1 in your Bibles. I'm just going to look through two passages of Scripture and then we'll be finished. You liked that, huh, Paul? How many chocolates did you eat over there? <laughs> yeah, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. So here the writer of Hebrews begins the book by talking about who Jesus is. And he says these words, long ago, God spoke. Now this is key to your understanding of Christianity, that God is not a detached deity. He did not create us and then say, well, good luck with that. He did not just hide behind the veil and make himself unknown. But God spoke to us. And as you've read the Old Testament, you know that God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. But then notice in verse 2, in these last days, He has spoken to us. He has revealed Himself to us. In these last days, He's even said, okay, enough words. I'm going to reveal to you my essence. I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to really allow you to see me because I'm going to come and live among us. And the Scriptures say He has spoken to us by His Son. Now, who is the Son? God has appointed Him heir of all things and made the universe through Him. He is the one who is sovereign over everything that we see, everything that we experience. The Son is the heir. That means He has authority over all this. And then notice verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. Of all the images of Jesus Christ in Scripture, I think that may be my favorite. The Son radiating the glory of God. Have you ever heard of the word icon? Uh, it's, the, it's the icon, the image. Jesus is, that's the Greek word used here, the icon of God. So whenever we see Jesus... We see God. We see the radiance of God's glory. And then if, if that's not enough for you, and the exact expression of His nature. You want to know what God's like? Read the words of Jesus. Study the life of Jesus. Follow Jesus. The Scriptures say you don't have to guess, does God exist? And if so, what is He like? God has shown Himself, He has spoken to us through His Son, the one who made the universe, the radiance of God's glory. You see Jesus, you see the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful Word, and noticing this, and after making the purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. So you know Jesus' life, He born of Bethlehem, as Christians, we believe that he lived a sinless life, that he wound up being betrayed and arrested. He was crucified, but his death upon the cross was not just a good teacher who got in trouble with the mighty Roman Empire. 
His death upon the cross was an atonement for your sins and mine. Hebrews describes it here as he made purification for our sins. Now go with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now Ephesians chapter 2 begins with a spiritual state that we're in apart from Christ. And so the chapter begins with us dead in the trespasses of sin. But then God, verse 4, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead. Read Ephesians chapter 2 sometimes this week. It's such beautiful imagery. We are dead. We are enslaved in our trespasses and sin. But God, motivated by his love, made us alive in Christ. And then when we get to verse 8, we see what's such a wonderful picture of what it means to be alive in Christ. So look with me there. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. So as we look at this verse, here's the key point. You are saved by grace, through faith, not by works. What does it mean to be saved? Well, when we talk about saved as a theological term, we can understand it in past present, and future tense. In the past, I was saved by God from my sins. When I was a six-year-old boy, I knelt beside my bed one night. My father father was a pastor, and we'd watched this movie at the church on on heaven. And so uh, I rode home with my sister, and I realized during that movie that I needed to be saved that I needed, I needed a relationship with God through Christ. And so I rode home with my sister, and I remember I was drinking a, um, a, a glass of Nestle Quick. The powder, not the syrup. We were poor, you know, makes you stronger. Yeah, syrup tastes better, but, you know, powder, powder keeps you humble. Anyway, so I was drinking the Nestle Quick, and that's when I got the courage to say to my sister, I need to be saved. And she responded back to me, wait till your dad gets home. So I went to bed that night, and I remember I was just praying, God, please don't come back before my dad gets home. Please don't come back before my dad gets home. My dad came to my bedroom, and he said, you wanted to see me? And I said, yeah, I want to be saved. And that night, he and I knelt beside my bed, and I prayed to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Uh, and, And theologically, there was a baptism that took place. The Holy Spirit baptized me into Christ. God sees me in Christ, and because of that, my sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven in Christ. I belong to Christ for all eternity because I've been saved. And many of you can give testimony to the same event in your life. That moment whenever you placed your faith, you took that leap of faith, and you trusted in Christ. Being saved also has a present tense. I am working out my salvation, as Paul said. God is maturing me and growing me. None of us in this room are perfect. I promise you this, this is not a perfect church. 
None of us are perfect. We are all works in process as God grows us and matures us. We're working out that salvation. And then we also look forward to the future, to the day of salvation, where we see God face to face. And when God comes again and he redeems the creation unto himself, because the first time that Jesus came, he came as the innocent baby of Bethlehem. The second time that he comes, he'll come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all things will be made new. So the scriptures say we have been saved. Go back to that last slide if you can for me. We have been saved by grace. God has intervened into our scene. He has pursued a relationship with you that you did not earn through your good behavior. He, he was the initiator. He brings grace. He brings his presence to us through Christ it is not a deserved relationship. It's not one that was earned by your merit. It was earned by the unmerited favor of God. Do you realize this? You cannot work your way to God. Now, this is one of the defining points of Christianity as compared to all other world religions. If you break down other major world religions, it's about, okay, if you follow the rules, if you do good enough, if you, if, you, if you sow enough good karma, whatever it might be, then you advance. Christianity is about you can never be good enough. God has done for you what you could never do, and he redeems you in that grace. And we stand, and the ground beneath us is secure. Our salvation is secure, not because of our good behavior, because we stand in grace, as Romans 5 teaches us. For by grace are you saved through faith. So if grace is God saying to us, I love you, and I extend myself to you for a relationship, faith is whenever we say back to God, I love you too. Faith is whenever we place our, our trust. It's when we give the totality of ourselves to God. You say, well, is faith a work? No, faith is a surrender. Faith is about ultimately saying, I don't have all the answers. I am not God. I have done things that I shouldn't. And I'm turning from that thinking. I'm turning from that attitude. And I am bowing the knee. And I am placing my faith in Christ. And at some point in Christianity, there has to be the leap of faith. It's not a blind leap because there are good reasons to believe in Christ. God has revealed himself to us, and there is a cloud of witnesses that testify, make the jump, man. It's good on the other side. It's okay to take the jump of faith. There's a lot of millions, billions of people over thousands of years testifying to taking the leap of faith. But at some point, Christianity has to become personal. And you have to take that leap of faith and place your faith in Christ. It's not by works. I'm so thankful that your daddy was a deacon, that you grew up in church. I'm thankful that KLTY is on your presets. All that good stuff. But those things are not how you, be, how you get saved. Salvation comes through Christ. It's birthed in His grace, and it's received through faith. My goal in this series is not to argue you to God. 
Does God exist? Absolutely, God exists. Can God be known? Yes, most certainly, He can be known through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I don't want to argue you to the faith, but here's what I believe. I believe that it's quite possible that in this room or watching on Facebook or YouTube, there is someone that God has been working in your life and He is creating this moment where your heart is open and He's calling you to Christ. And it's time for you to take that leap of faith and place your life and place your faith in Christ. Would you all be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? If that person that I was talking about today is you, would you just call out to God right where you are? Say, Lash, I, I don't know what to say. There's no magical set of words. It's just about you and God and you giving your heart to God. And right now, right where you're sitting, just kind of draw a circle around this moment that this is your moment of faith where you're taking that leap. And you might say something to God like, Lord, I don't, I don't have all the answers, but I know this, that you're calling me to faith. And so, Father, I ask forgiveness for my sins, and I place my life, I place my heart before you. And I'm placing my trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And Lord, I ask that you will give me strength and wisdom to follow you in the days ahead, to be your child, and to stand in grace. And I would invite you just to pray that prayer in the name of Christ. And again, if this is your moment, just mark where you are right now. Take time to take inventory of where you're sitting, whether it's at home or here, how you're feeling. And remember this as your day of salvation. Now I'm going to invite you also to Take the next step and tell somebody to go public with your faith. I would invite you to tell me. I'll be here at the front during this next song. I'll be here after the service as well. And I would, I would love to hear that you came to know Christ as Savior and Lord. If you're watching at home, you can send me an email at pastor at murphychurch.com. Find somebody that you know in your life who walks with the Lord and let them know that today you made this decision to trust in Christ. And then we would love to talk to you about baptism and what that means. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for a place where we can come and for this hour we can just shut out all the responsibilities and all the things that are on the to-do list and the stresses and the pressures of life, and we can gather with God's people, sing praises to you, receive truth from your word, and be empowered by your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, for the sanctuary that is 
worship. And I pray, Father, that we will have a firm faith in who you are and that we will not cower and back down when people try to push us back, but that we might lean into our faith and realize that you do exist and you have made yourself known and that there are real, viable reasons for faith and answers to the ultimate questions of life. I thank you, God, for your salvation that's found in Christ. And I thank you for my Savior, to whom we owe all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, church, as we worship.